Bible study while living with coronavirus, but with a twist. So I want to go to the New York Times today. And if you had your New York Times and you looked at it, on the front page at the top, above the line, as they say, above the fold, it fury in the streets as protests spread across the United States. Also on the front page, you'd read, in dozens of states, outrage over the death of George Floyd. You'd read, two crises convulse a nation, a pandemic and police violence. All of this on the front page. Now today, I'm not going to deal as much with the pandemic. Today, I'm going to deal more with the police violence in a way. I want you to join me. I will tell you this. Next week, set to be published, is Tom Wright's book, God and the Pandemic. And we've got uh, some of the first copies coming off the press. We'll tell you how we can help you get those. Uh, It's an excellent book. Tom is a a world-class theologian for the ages, and, and his treatment on this is really, really good. So I want you to get ready for that. But this week, I'm still concerned about the violence that's rocking our country and where that violence is coming from, what underlies that violence. And so I'll go back to the New York Times and I'll give you this also on the front page, the question, how we broke the world. Greed and globalization set us up for disaster. That link was emailed to me this morning by a lawyer buddy of mine in Florida. Pete sent me an email and he said, how have we broken the golden rule? How do we get it back? Peace. That's the way he signed off. That's a great question. And that's a question I want us to discuss this morning. Now, if you've been tracking with me in these classes, you know that what I'm doing right now is working off of the passage in Luke that comes from the story of the road to Emmaus. This is a story where Jesus... Um, incognito, if you will, joins up with two of his disciples on Easter afternoon, late afternoon, as they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're discussing all the events that had happened over the Easter weekend, the Passion, Good Friday, the whole thing. And, And Jesus opens the Old Testament and tries to explain to them and teach them what the Old Testament had to say about Jesus uh, and his death and his resurrection. We don't know the details of the conversation, but the New Testament over and over and over gives us stories and, and images and pictures and prophetic words that very easily could have been used by Jesus because the early church grabbed a hold of them and made them part of Scripture. And so within the framework of all of this, we're delivering these messages out from the the chapel that's a part of the library complex uh, of the the foundation that's up here in northwest Houston. And in this chapel, the ceiling's been painted with various vignettes that illustrate this. And two of the vignettes come into play today. 
And so one of the vignettes that we've got coming into play is found right over here to the, my left. But it says, Vaisuli Michdash Vashakan Ti Batokam. Now, some people actually watch this from Israel, and they will be laughing at my Lubbock pronunciation of biblical Hebrew. But for those who don't know any better, it sounds good to them, but we need to put it into English. In English. Then, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. This is an instruction that God gave to Moses after the Israelites have come out of Egypt and been rescued through the Red Sea. God told Moses not only to have them make a sanctuary, but he added this. Exactly, precisely, as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. That's one of the vignettes. The second vignette is found from 1 Kings 6.1. It's Solomon building the temple. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, he began to build the temple of the Lord. Now, I believe that as we walk through the understanding of what Jesus taught about why he had to die and about why he was resurrected, we will actually be addressing questions that are fundamental to the problems that our nation is facing right now. Not just the problem of domestic violence, uh, uh, violence among the, the masses, but the underlying racial inequality that has prompted so much of this outcry. The harsh polarization and horribly harsh language that we hear from people on the both sides of the spectrum, right and left. We hear it from people who are professional commentators. We hear it from politicians. There is a harshness and an edge within our country. And there is, is a a treatment, a poor treatment of people in our country that I believe finds an explanation and an answer in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So I believe as a Christian that the gospel, this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is something that permeates and should permeate all of our life. And everything we do can be viewed through that lens. If you've ever watched any of my lessons on why I believe there's a God, on why I believe that Christianity is, is the, 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 the true explanation of, of how we are and why we are, if you've ever tracked any of that of mine, you know it's because I believe it adequately explains, not adequately, thoroughly explains our worldview and the way we see the world. So I want to do three things this morning. Here's the one, two, three for the class. Number one, I want to look at the purpose of Israel that was behind God's instructions. 
Number two, I want to look at the focus that Israel should have had. And I want to do number three, the key for Israel to fulfilling God's purposes and living a good and fruitful life. So if we'll look at those three things, I think we will be well on the road to understanding how we can do something about the problems that exist in our country right now. So let's go to number one. Number one, the purpose of Israel. Why does God choose Israel? Israel will be quick to say, and, and, and people who read the Bible will be quick to realize that Israel is a nation of God's chosen people. Why? Why does he pick them? Does he pick Israel because Abe was such a great guy? God says, hey, I like this Abraham guy. I'm just going to pick him and his race forever are going to be my chosen people. Does God pick Israel just because he was in a picky mood? Hey, I think I'm going to pick someone out of this morass of people. I think I'll just pick this tribe or, or, or this group of people. You know, I don't want everybody. Do you think maybe God chose Israel because he didn't like the other choices. It's kind of like, those Amalekites, I'm not too fond of them. Oh, those Moabites, whoo, bad people. Amorites, no, 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 no. Who wants the Amorites? Let's, let's pick somebody else. No, I'm suggesting to you that God had a clear purpose behind picking Israel. Israel is chosen by God. They are God's chosen people. God has chosen them, but he had a clear reason. God chose Israel because God decided that through Israel, God would bless the world. God didn't have some inordinate love for Israel that made him love them and find the rest of the world repugnant or just not as lovable. No, God had and has always had a love for the entire world, but Israel was chosen as the vehicle through which God would bless all nations. So if we go back to the question slide, the answer is God blessed Israel so that through Israel, he could bless us all. Now, where do I get that from? I mean, it sounds good. Yeah, that sounds real good. God loves everybody. God wants to bless everybody, so he chooses Israel to do that. That sounds real good, Mark, but what is your authority? you got to remember, I'm a lawyer as well as a teacher. And I do courtroom work. And you can make all the bold statements you want in a courtroom, but you have to have evidence to back it up. 
What's my evidence to support this idea that God chose Israel and blessed Israel so that Israel could be a blessing for others? I get that from the Hebrew Bible itself. Look at this passage from Genesis 18, Bareshit in the Hebrew, Genesis. Genesis 18, verses 17 through 18, the Lord, Hashem, the name, The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He's becoming a great and mighty nation and even so... Also, through that great and mighty nation, all the nations of the world are to be blessed. God chooses Abraham because from Abraham, God is going to bless all. God doesn't say that just once. I didn't just find that verse in Genesis 18. We go back to the PowerPoint slide. Look at Genesis 12, 3. I will, this is God speaking. I will bless those who bless you, Abraham. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just the nations. The families of the earth. I mean, consider this when we look at any form of inequality, racial inequality, economic inequality, what I call geographic inequality, the idea that, hey, we're born in America. Surely God loves us more than he loves people born in Zimbabwe. Anybody who fails to understand that God is seeking to bless all families, all nations, that God has concern for everyone, anyone who fails to understand that is failing to understand the fundamental basis for why Jesus came and died for everyone. Anybody who fails to understand that, nay. Anybody who fails to uh, 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 stand up for that. Anybody who fails to make that part of their mission in life. Fails to understand what it means to be working with God for God's purposes. See, when God chose Israel, God chose Israel with an eye toward the future. God was always looking forward with his plan. If you have any doubt, let me give you two illustrations. First, I'll talk to you about where God placed Israel. And second, we'll talk about what God gave 
uniquely to Israel. First, look where God placed Israel. Now think about this for a minute. We've got the entire globe. Oh yeah, Antarctica is probably not that inhabitable. But God could have placed Israel anywhere. God could have placed Israel in Lubbock, Texas. God could have placed Israel in Birmingham, England. God could have told Israel, here's the promised land. It'll later be called Ural, Russia. Or the island of Japan. But out of the entire globe, God placed Israel in what was known then as Canaan. What we know today as the Middle East. Here's a satellite view. This is Israel. What God did is at the time God did this, there were two major world powers in the Middle East. There was Egypt. And there was the Assyrians. And others up in this area. You've got Hittites and uh, others. Now, why do you have these huge civilizations here? Why do you have these world powers? Well, it's not a, not a, a surprise. Look at all of that green in Egypt. That's permanent water that's caused by the River Nile. And that results in a stable place where you can grow crops and develop a powerful nation. And it did. And look at these rivers up here. These rivers up here, the Tigris and Euphrates, produced the same. It's a little bit uh, harder to see here, but you've got a, 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 an ability to live and farm and create enough foodstuffs to grow a big civilization. And so these are the big civilizations. Now, they're always warring against each other. Egypt's always trying to move in on the Assyrians. The Assyrians are always trying to move in on Egypt. And they can't go through here. This is all desert. This is barren, save for the oasis here or there. Who wants to go in the barren land? So Assyria and Egypt are here, and they've got the opportunity to continue... But what's the bridge? What is the land that connects those two? Everything has to go through Israel. Israel is situated where one of two things can happen. Either Israel can be blessed and be influencing those around it. Or Israel can fail to be blessed... And will be decimated over and over by those around it. God put Israel in a unique place 
to be able to spread the message of God uniquely in the world. Egypt's got hundreds, thousands of gods. The Assyrians have, and, and, and other Mesopotamian cultures have boatloads of gods. But God tells Israel there's one God. God gives his law to Israel and says, you need to live and focus on this and you will influence the cultures around you. You can change the world. Israel was situated geographically in prime real estate to influence the most powerful nations the largest people groups in the Middle East. So that's where God placed Israel. But let me give you my second proof. Look at what God gave Israel. God gave Israel the Torah. Here I've got a scroll, a Torah scroll. Brent, I don't know. Hope you can zoom in, give people an idea. This is the Torah. This is God's revelation to the Jews. We've got an opportunity to see and understand something that thousands of years ago God gave to the Jews as he revealed himself to them. And that revelation of God, that revelation of God to the Jews is one that communicated God's message to them. Look at this passage from the very first chapter of the Torah, of, of the Bible, of Genesis, of Barashit. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. This is at the beginning because this is very fundamental to anyone understanding this world. God created humanity, male and female, in his image. That does not mean, by the way, that God has hair and a nose and two eyes, two ears, a mouth, a face, arms, etc. Image in the sense of a mirror. Image in the sense that we reflect God. So, you know, in the the days of creation, God names the, the various elements he's creating. You know, he makes the, the day, uh, a light day and darkness night. Uh, uh, you know, God does the naming until he creates humanity in his image. And then he tells humanity, says, now you name the animals. Whatever you name them, that's what their name's going to be. And Adam sets himself about naming the animals. I mean, God, God created us not in his, 
We, we are not God. We're not, don't have his power, don't have his knowledge or anything like that. But we reflect God to this world around us. And the key to understanding this is that God made all humanity that way. This is not a case where God said, well, I'll make people with this skin tone to be in my image, but not people with that skin tone. Or I'll make people who make enough money to pay their taxes in my image, but not those who need help from the government or from churches or from individuals. God didn't say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make the educated people in, the, in my image, but people who, who, who aren't so educated, no, 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 no. I mean, God made everyone in his image. And that's a fundamental understanding of why he wants to bless everyone. This is why I have the slide. God blessed Israel if we, so that through Israel... He could bless others. Now, I showed you this a minute ago. Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But I, like, tricked you. I didn't give you the verse right before it. I want to do that now. God said to Abraham, I will make... Of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God leaves it totally obvious to anyone who's reading his word. He has made all humanity in his image, and in addition to that, he has chosen Abraham to make a great nation out of him so, and to bless Abraham so that Abraham will be a blessing to others, to all the earth, all nations, all families. So if we go back to my point number one for today, what was the purpose of Israel? Israel was blessed to be a blessing. Next, how does Israel focus Where is the focus of Israel to lie? For Israel to to be this blessing, the focus of Israel was very directly on one target and one alone. Israel should focus upon God as God revealed himself. God didn't haphazardly reveal himself. God didn't give Israel suggestions. The Ten Commandments are not the Ten Recommendations. God gave Israel very clear instructions because those instructions revealed not only who God was, but what God was doing and what he wants us to be doing. And so the focus of Israel was to be a focus very clearly upon God as God revealed himself. So, look, we got some choices here. I can focus on God as I imagine God to be. I think God should be 
uh, kind and gentle. Um, I think God should be maybe harsh for like Hitler types. But generally, I think God should, you know, pay attention to certain things. I think God should weigh good and bad. And uh, I think, you know, I can sit here and decide what I'd like God to be and focus on that. Or I can choose to say God's revealed himself. I want to understand how he revealed himself. And I want to focus on that. Because God was deliberate in his revelation. Remember this montage that I put up from the ceiling. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. This is the sanctuary. This is the mikdash. Where God is going to dwell. Now, if you have any doubt about this, I want to give you two different passages. I want to look at Numbers chapter 2 and chapter 3, and I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, especially verse 15. But but, um, let's start with Numbers 2 and 3. Look at the way Israel was told to focus on God's presence. This is kind of an unusual one. This is a discussion of how the camp was to be. Let me explain why this is important. Israel has been told to make what um, we call the sanctuary, the tabernacle. And that tabernacle is going to be, and we'll go into more detail in this in a few weeks, but it's really a tent-like structure. And within it is another tent... And in that's going to be the Ark of the Covenant. Remember Indiana Jones. And you're going to have the altar and other various accoutrements where the priests will serve. But this is a tent. It's also called in the Bible the tabernacle. And Israel, this is the dwelling that God said, you build it precisely the way I tell you. Exact design. Do it exactly right. And Israel would do that. And and they would, when God was on the move, Israel would pack up the tent and haul it to wherever God was taking them. And then when God said, settle down here for the, however long it might be, they would unpack the tent and set up the tabernacle again. The presence, the dwelling of God among the people. Now, God told them how they were to build their own camps around that dwelling. God tells them, let me back out for a moment, how they're to build their camp around this tent. He didn't just tell them how to build the tent. He told them how to set up camp around the tent. And that's what we have here in Numbers chapter 2. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own 
standard. That's like a flag with the banners of their father's houses. So they camped by their tribes, their families. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise will be the camp of Judah. And he details who they are. Those that camp next to him will be the tribe of Issachar. And he walks through that. And then he tells them where the tribe of Zebulun's going to be. And he walks through that. Then he says on the south side, you're going to get the camp of Reuben. You're going to get the camp of Simeon. You're going to get the camp of Gad. And what he's doing there is he's telling them how they are to encamp. And so he says, look, on the east side, on the east side, you're going to want to put uh, Judah, and they'll set up their tents there. So you've got these tents of Judah set up. And then in addition to that, you've got the tents of Issachar set up next to Judah. And he tells them where to put those tents. And he tells them where to put the the tents of, of, uh, who's next? Zebulun. And then he tells them on the south side to put up the tents of Reuben. And he does this all the way around. And those are tents that you do real fast. That's a fast tent. And then he puts the, the Levites closer in. So they camp in with their tents here. Now what does that do? All of their tents are pitched so that they face the dwelling of God. Every tent is pitched to where everyone, every morning, when they get up, when they walk out, when they leave their tent, everyone sees the dwelling of God. Everybody lives focused in on the presence of God with his people. That's the focus. It's not just the focus in their mind. It's the focus of their physical camp. Everything focuses in and zooms in on God and his presence among the people. Everything. That's the focus. And when they focus in and they hear these instructions from Moses, there's a second piece. That's that Deuteronomy 18 passage where God tells them, also I want you to be looking for the Messiah. You look for the Messiah, Deuteronomy 18.15. This is the way Moses said it. Moses said, The Lord, your God, Hashem, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From among your brothers, an Israelite. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, This is what he says, Uh, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And whoever will not listen to my words that he'll speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. God promised 
a Messiah, an anointed one would come. Who would be great like the prophet Moses. Who would know God on an intimate level. Who would have the words of God. And would speak the words of God. And you can read over and over and over in the Old Testament. And it will say frequently, no prophet has, like Moses has arisen since him. I mean, there were some great prophets in the Old Testament, but no prophet like Moses. You can even get to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah will prophesy that that God is still going to bring that Messiah. Now, I want to give you a sneak peek for next week for just a moment here before we finish with the last point. The sneak peek is this. I really want to look in detail. And next week, we're going to have a model of the, God willing, we're going to have a model of the Ark of the Covenant. But I want to look in detail at how God told them to make these things because that Exodus 25, 8 passage, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them, is echoed by the writer John, the gospel writer John, who says the word, and he's speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. So so the language that, that John uses, if we're reading it in the Greek, he uses a, a, a word that's based on the Greek word skeneo, which means a, a scene or a tent. Skeneo is the basis of the word that's used for the tent, the tabernacle that Moses had built by the Jewish translators of the Old Testament into Greek. John's purposefully using words to mirror the Exodus 25 passage because he wants us to understand that the the glory of God dwelt, his Shekinah presence was among the people in Jesus. And we will understand better who Jesus was in all of this prophetic sense if we understand better the exact pattern by which God told Moses and the people to build the tabernacle and its furniture. So, here's what we've done thus far. Point one, the purpose of Israel, they were blessed to be a blessing, but the focus of Israel was to be on God as he revealed himself. Now, the third thing I want to cover is the key for Israel. The key for Israel was simple. It was faithful obedience. Israel was to obey God in faith, in trust. Not a blind obedience that's simply rule following, but one that stems from faith. This faithful obedience Moses explained in Deuteronomy 28, one of his last speeches. It's a beautiful, beautiful speech. But Moses says the following. Faithful obedience. If you faithfully, in faith, obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. You will be blessed. Why? Because you're such a goody two-shoes? No. If you will walk the way God tells you to walk, you will be blessed just as sure as, 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 
look, God set up this world with cosmic karma. And when you do right, good things follow. Oh, I'm not saying you can't find the exception here and there, but that's too narrow a focus. You need to look at the big picture. In the big picture, God says, if you do right, good things will follow. The key for Israel is to understand, God says, I will bless you. I will set you high above all the nations. Why? So you can bless others. That's the key. Bless others. All nations, all families. And all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of God. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. The fruit of your loom will be blessed. The fruit of your cattle will be blessed. Your herds will increase. Your basket, your kneading bowl. Blessed will be you when you come out. Blessed will be you when you come in, go out. All of those blessings. You will be blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. But there's more to it. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, if you're not careful to do what he said, then the curses will come upon you and they'll overtake you. And you'll be cursed in the city and you'll be cursed in the field and you'll be cursed with your basket and kneading bowl, the fruit of your womb, fruit of your ground, your herds, everything, your flock. Cursed will be you when you come in, when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, frustration in all you undertake to do. That's the way of it. That's cosmic karma. That's the way God has set this world up. The reason God gives us instructions is for our own benefit. And when we do good, good things come. And when we sow enmity, and when we sow discord, and when we have racism, and when we have elitism, And when we are self-serving and when we are greedy and when we're seeking to feed ourselves on the backs of others, that's not going to bring blessing as sure as sticking your hand in the fire will burn your hand. It will bring cursing. And if we don't see that in our world, we're blind. And this is the focus of God. This is what God called Israel to. It's what God calls all of us to do. Let me give you a passage from Rabbi Paul. This book we call 1 Thessalonians. He's writing a letter to a church at Thessaloniki in in, uh, modern Macedonia, Greece. He says, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith your labor of love the Greek on that's clear and profound it's the work the obedience the labor that you do out of your faith in the Lord out of your love for the Lord it is faithful obedience it's not just rule following. It's following God out of a faithful love and desire to do what's right as he's revealed it. So Pete, your email to me this morning, how have we broken the golden rule? How do we get it back? Let's take Israel and personalize it. Let's talk about our purpose. 
Find how God has blessed you and let that be used by you to be a blessing to others. Focus on how God has revealed himself. Come back next week and let me talk about the forgiveness and the atonement for sin through Jesus that can transform us from mere rule followers struggling with our own concept of what God is into a fuller understanding of who God is and his love for us and his commitment to us and how through Israel, specifically in Jesus Christ, God has blessed all the nations of the earth. So our purpose be a blessing. Our focus, God as he revealed himself, and our key is faithful obedience. Jesus said it this way, you're a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, with the SpaceX taking off yesterday, today those astronauts are getting to see, or last night they got to see, the United States of America at night. And from outer space, which is where this view is that I've put here, you can see the city lights. You can't hide it. And that's what we're to be. We're to be a blessing to others. We're to be a light. Jesus also said, you're the salt of the earth. We're to season and preserve our culture. And if right now in the midst of everything going on, God's people do not stand up and talk about the dignity of every human being and not just talk about it, but live it. If we can't get past this petty self-centeredness, I'm right, you're wrong-ness. I'm not suggesting there's not right and wrong. There is. But everything needs to be expressed in love, not in harsh, vitriolic rhetoric. We've got to have a a, a compassionate heart for God's justice and for the blessings of God to flow through his people to this world around us. And that's one of my commitments right now in biblical study while living with coronavirus. Can I pray over you and ask you to share this message if this is useful with folks who, who might need it. Father, I come to you in your name and I ask you to uh, uh, call your people out right now. May they be the voice. May, may they, they stand up for your love, your compassion, your blessing upon all people regardless of Size, color, texture, nationality, economics, regardless of anything, Father. May we stand up on true biblical teaching of your love and compassion and desire to bless everyone, even as you tell us how to live. We do pray in your name, amen. Hope to see you guys next Sunday. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you.